Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Genre Equality. This is our 17th episode and it is the biggest one of the year. Well, at least until next month when we talk about Game, game of Thrones. Thrones. But for now, we're going to talk about the other game, the end game. <laughs> uh, also featuring a Stark. But I mean, let's not forget lah, that beyond Avengers mm-hmm. and Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. there's a wide world of genre to enjoy. That's true. There's a lot of stuff, you know, we have your Shazams, we have the Tick, we have Star Trek Discovery, yeah. the Magicians, and a bunch of other things that are good and just as important, although not as talked about as, you know, Avengers Endgame lah. True. So, um, but, you know, we are a genre podcast mm-hmm. and John... And <laughs> As with most genre fans, we have to talk about Endgame. Yep. Uh, so it will be our first topic, and it will take up most of the oxygen for this episode. Yes. Uh, as it should lah. It is the biggest movie worldwide. It's the biggest movie ever. Yes. Uh, apparently. What is it now? One point. One point something billion. billion right? After five days. Oh, that's mad. Like a record, right? Uh, yeah. Um, the one billion mark for the opening weekend was thought to be impossible. They hit one point two. Yeah, but apparently cinemas cancelled other movies to screen more Avengers. And oh. also stayed open for 24 hours. That's mad. Yeah. Uh, it broke records in several countries, uh, not least of which was America, where it crossed the fabled 300 million mark over the opening weekend, which is, again, impossible. The last time, the closest the record was, was Infinity War, which was, you know, it broke Force Awakens record last year yeah. with 257 million. Now it got 350 million. So it, it didn't just break the record. You know. It was it destroyed the record. It destroyed the record. Yeah. yeah um, like by 100 million. It's, <laughs> it's a lot, guys. It's a lot. A lot of people have seen this movie. A lot of people have, have talked about this movie. But we are here to give our own opinions about it. Yep. So Avengers Endgame, the combination of what Kevin Feige calls the Infinity Saga, the first three phases of the MCU. Um, after 11 years, 22 films. This is the climax la, to this ambitious, staggering epic that has been built up and built up through many good movies and some not so good ones. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, I think they wrapped it up in, in something that is appropriately, staggeringly epic. Uh, something that is very satisfi- satisfying, like a, a, an appropriate swan song, I would say. I would say so. Like a series finale in cinematic form and game draws upon. Every like drop of investment its fans has ever put into its franchise, mm-hmm. and pays it off with interest. Uh, it emphasizes hard-earned emotion just as much as the deliriously grandiose action. Because if you have to keep in mind, most of the movie is dialogue and character-driven. Yeah. Uh, so that is sup- that was surprising to me. Um, it kind of balances this uh, the heartbreaking farewells of our original six mm-hmm. with the euphoric triumph of battle, and it's all you know elegant, elegantly crafted. Uh, brilliantly acted and um, a supremely moving blockbuster venture um, with so much to juggle what Kevin Feige and the Russo brothers and also have to credit the writers uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely what they have pulled off here is nothing short of a, a miracle it yeah. is it's a miracle For sure. um, I think it's bravely and organically character driven in a superhero landscape where so few superhero movies are it subverts expectations and begins by actually stewing in the aftermath of this giant cataclysmic event, uh, towing kind of this intersection between survivor's guilt and grief. Uh, and then, you know, it, it builds up to that breathtaking live action translation of what it feels like to watch a large scale crossover comic of this magnitude. Mm. You know, if you've ever read any of the big crossover comics where you have like fucking like 600 characters on the splash page, you know, uh, translated amazingly in action. Through amazing camera work that gives everybody a moment. Yep. 
like Doctor Strange said in Infinity War, right? There are 14 million ways you could have done this movie, and I think they found the only one that works. <laughs> the only way that I works, agree. yeah. Um, so okay, as usual, when we talk about big things, yeah, this uh this review is split in two parts. Mm-hmm. First part is um non spoiler section. Okay. So we'll give generic thoughts. Don't give away plot points. Don't give away um anything too important. Just talk about your feelings. Talk about you know your reactions to it lah, and then we'll delve, delve into a spoiler section. We'll give you a, a fair warning, uh, but first spoiler sec, uh, non-spoiler section. Uh, what did you guys feel about this movie? Well, it it did. I mean, it lived up to the expectations lah. Mm. Um, there were interesting moments that I felt took a lot of courage to do. Mm. Uh, I didn't expect them to actually do certain things, mm-hmm. um, but all in all, it turned out well. And how they actually managed to um, keep the tone kind of sim- uh, you know in check throughout, yeah, was quite amazing, You know, the the the, the usual Marvel humor, yeah. but then with a lot of thought and like a lot of like dark moments also entwined in it. Yeah, it was yeah, something that um. I think they've had a lot of practice with like Thor Ragnarok with um, Iron Man 3 mm. and Guardians, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like everything that they've learned over the past 11 years came to fruition here. Uh, and then the, I, th- I felt like it was really uh, they gave everything that they had into this movie. And you could tell uh, that three hours didn't feel like three hours. Mm. And that was something that that's very important to me. Mm, true. Yeah. A 180 minute time is staggering can be exhausting exactly. but it didn't feel exhausting yeah. so by the end of it I was and I watched it twice you know and I had fun both times la. yeah uh, and even better fun on the second run because of you know all the little easter eggs that you catch you know all the little references you get um, all the uh, all the homages to the previous movies mm. that kind of thing so you know, it's kind of fun uh, I had a lot of fun and I'm kind of it's a bittersweet feeling because it's it's over, you know. Phase but it's not. I know, I know, I know. But you know, this phase is over. Yeah. The the original, you know, original Avengers are, not, I mean, you know. At least the big two, like, the, the most big important two. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. yeah. they didn't resign contracts, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, the, the bittersweet in that that sense, lah. But really gives you a lot of optimism for what is in in store for future for Marvel films. For phase four. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really looking forward to that now. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that was Hardy's thoughts. Let's get Isa Fong's thoughts. Well, um, I I think I echo a lot of sentiments uh, that Hadi has shared, right? Just the sheer amount of detail uh, that they have very meticulously put in, right? And made sure that every piece um, that that can be seen could be seen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that it, it blows me away, you know? And again, like, uh, in for the first couple of minutes when, when it opened, I was a bit worried. Um, that the pacing might fall off given there's a three hour movie uh, but as a lot of the early reviews were saying like there isn't a moment for you to take a break mm-hmm. right you are engaged from the get go and I think that in and of itself is its own triumph given that superhero movies tend to have you know pacing problems right mm-hmm. like it's just something that we have always accepted um, it is fitting right and it is a combination that has been a long time coming and that in and of itself makes um, the very attempt at something like Endgame mm. or if we want to look at both Infinity War and Endgame um, a, a triumph of cinema making I think that is in, in a very meta sense right because mm. we've never had a series of movies 
um, that end up uh, in what we've just seen. Well, I mean, Star Wars, I guess, um, but not to this level, lah. Yeah, um, yeah, but we've never had that. Um, finality is not the right word, right? But we have never had that kind of closure. Yeah, I think from any of the Star Wars movies, mm. and there is a coherence in the MCU, mm-hmm. uh, despite different directors and different writers and all of that. Um, and un- under Feige's kind of like supervision that we don't get in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, of, of course, like looking at where they're going with the next movie and mm. wanting to... wanting to The miscommunication between Ryan Johnson, Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, you know, yeah. but everybody feels like on different pages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel like um, it Fe- Feige has sailed the ship right under his command for the last 11 years mm. and he had a very definite goal as to what he wanted it to be and this movie um, as the culmination of it has has been uh, thoroughly enjoyable right mm. uh, I did have a, a few thoughts about whether or not as a, is it even possible to consider Endgame on its own as a single movie no lah because it's a series finale and I don't think it works on its own yeah and, and you know so if we can't discuss the merit of that then we have discussed the entire length and breadth of the 22 mm. now 23 movies that we've seen right uh, but yeah I mean like I I definitely enjoyed it I was surprised coming out of that like 3 hours later not feeling like it was 3 hours mm-hmm. you know uh, immensely satisfying mm. I find uh, I did feel like they were kind of you know plot holes a lot of pseudoscience but I mean it, it's comic book world and, and we accept all of those things and like as you rightly pointed out I think so long as it hits the right uh, emotional um, beats yeah emotional yeah. notes for yeah. those segments I, I'm totally fine with that yeah um, same uh, uh, non-spoilery we're just gonna give our ratings for this movie and then we'll delve into the spoiler section uh, I will speak in with Hadi let's go around this uh, semi-circle table uh, Hadi how would you rate Endgame? Uh, solid 8.5 Nice Yeah. Uh, how about you Aisa? Yeah, I think in its entirety with all that is done it's an 8.5 for me too Yes uh, Same Seems like we all have an 8.5 here because I put out, uh, on my notes 8.5 upon 10 as well uh, without knowing uh, what my co-hosts were going to rate it <laughs> uh, Very high rating obviously not perfect just because I think when you're juggling so many balls there's no way to keep them all in the air mm. but they kept most of it that's insane uh. Uh, we're going to delve into spoiler section right now in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So if you're here, right, get the fuck out. <laughs> Go watch this movie. You're like one, the only person in the world who has left. seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> left. Did you just come back from the snap or something? Is, is that what happened? Go watch this. Anyways, we're going to spoil the shit out of it right now. Yeah. So be warned. Uh, so first thoughts, spoilery-wise, since I had so much praise for it, right? Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit of the complaints because yeah, it's hard to delve into the complaints without talking about plot points. Yeah. yeah. So the time travel, which is what happens in this movie. Yeah. So I couldn't say time travel, right? Cause, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a plot point. La. But the time travel logic is like at best Legends of Tomorrow level of nonsense. Yes. Which is a slight drawback. But, you know, as, as Isa said, uh, earlier and I have said many times before I value emotional logic over plot logic <laughs> as long as the character beats hit and the character arcs are crafted uh, hit at the right time I don't care what mechanics achieves those things yeah. the emotions and the journey make sense and they are powerful and that's all I personally care about the time travel neatness you know that you see in things like Arrival or 12 Monkeys and things like that right that stuff is a condiment yeah. you know that's like ketchup it's not a burger the the emotion is the burger and the burger here was like juicy so yeah. I mean Fine. that that was my only drawback yeah. for it. How about you guys? Uh, I had not much issue with the time traveler 
the same as you didn't really matter in the end yeah the, the, it's pseudoscience anyway it's not it's gonna just hurt my brain if I think too hard about it mm-hmm. you know like Captain America going back in time to put all the stones and I'm like how did he put back the soul stone mm. now, how do I you mean they sort of explain it by by kind of because Marvel doesn't know. do single uh, linear timelines unlike yeah, yeah. DC so <laughs> they they do branching timelines yeah, yeah. so yeah so the branching timelines sort of make sense sort of I guess I mean because if you put it back exactly at the time that you took it Wait, so, so, so so he fixes that branching timeline, yeah, yeah, yeah. not our timeline. Exactly. Yeah. So the Thanos that came <sighs> back in time, that was from a different timeline. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So that that just confused the shit out of me. Yeah. So what yeah. I'm so try- that's why I don't want to think too hard. What I'm trying to say that. is don't. Yeah. Exactly. It's not. So a, you're kind of missing the point if you're trying to exactly. figure that out. Yeah. So because of the fact that I only thought about it way later. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie lah. Yeah. You know. And yeah, so the only thing that was a niggling thing was the time traveling thing, as you mentioned. Uh, I guess also the just I felt like some people didn't have enough time on screen, lah. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not anybody's fault. There's yeah, really there's too many characters, yeah. lah. Well, I felt there yeah. was a deliberate choice to give the the, the original the important arcs the, to the original six, yeah, 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 because a lot of it, yeah. Again, niggling things, nothing really too serious, lah. How about you, Isa? Oh. Uh, I I think the ancient one had a valiant attempt to explain time, mm. the timeline thing, right? And of course, there uh, were visuals and everything. Yeah, the visuals and everything. We had a whole like three D presentation, yeah. uh, explaining it to banner of all people, right? Who who well had to wrap his head around it, um, and of course there was a great uh, baby Hitler, yeah, <laughs> reference in the baby Thanos thing, and um, Rhodey's very creepy, <laughs> kind of like strangling. <laughs> action going on, yeah, yeah that, that was that was quite quite a bit of fun. Um, at the end of the day, like however they wanted to execute it, I was a bit, I was okay. I mean, I I love neat time travel storylines. Uh, I felt that if they could have like worked that in, that would have been great. Like that would have just elevated it so much more. Um, some of the things that I just couldn't think, like why did Cap bring Monia back with him, right? Uh, when he went back, and then I realized that he, he has to, to put Monia back yeah. as well. And it's not just because he's the new Thor, Thor yeah. basically. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. But other than that, honestly, I think that this um this time travel thing is neater than Days of Future Past. Sure. Yeah, but like in Days of Future Past, I love the movie because it the emotional beat, the emotional closure to one era. Yeah. yeah. And then the beginning of a new era, and they pseudo science. It, but I thought it made emotional sense. It did the passing of the torch, you know, in that kind of way. Mm. So I thought it was fine. Um, this movie obviously featured a bunch of callbacks, lah, as yeah. uh, to previous movies. A lot of them, um, and there are payoffs, not just callbacks. Uh, and I think like payoffs are not fan service. People use the word fan service wrongly in this particular mm. film because fan service is usually used in a negative connotation. Yeah. But you know, oh, even that also I have an issue with because you know why is servicing your fans a bad thing? No. I mean, if you do it right. Correct lah. Yeah. yeah. So, but in this case, it's used to service character, and it requires a lot of patience and commitment yep. with the long term vision lah that they set out. Uh, Avengers Assemble, the first time that Captain America has ever said it is in this movie. You know, think about it. It's eleven yeah. years. He's n- nobody's ever said Avengers Assemble in the movies. Uh, and it only gets interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I mean, the fact that like it didn't happen in Avengers One or Age of Ultron or Civil War or Infinity War, they waited. 
they wait until now uh, and I think it's there's value in the waiting lah uh, you know yeah. I mean stuff like you know uh, from verbal callbacks like on your left or the Iron Man 3 kid who was there for a short Hero, cameo yeah. uh, in fact speaking of cameos a lot of big name cameos that I can't believe that they got yeah. uh, Natalie Portman uh, Natalie Portman I already mentioned Tilda Swinton uh, Rob Robert Redford Who theoretically Retired from acting Although I'm sure This was filmed Before, before his, his final Quote unquote yeah. Final movie The Old Man and the Gun Which you should watch Is very good But that was his Retirement film So I guess Chronologically now <laughs> Weirdly enough an Avengers actor, is his last film Avengers Endgame Is Robert Redford's Final chronological film Not bad one Which, which is insane <laughs> Yeah uh, They spend the first Half hour to 45 minutes I think In an episode Of The Leftovers <laughs> Yes Yeah Yes. I yes. thought that was surprising I loved it Because it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's brave To switch the narrative And, and also it grounds everything Slow the pace Yeah yeah. I thought I thought it's brave To slow the pace Because it's not what people Are expecting Exactly uh, And they deal with The emotional consequence la. Uh, mm. I think that In this particular stretch Of that MCU The Scarlett Johansson Did her best, her best acting work Ooh, In those yes. particular scenes oh, She's got to earn That solo movie Yeah yeah. Uh, I think she was amazing And carried the emotional weight More than any other character Agreed. In that film uh, The way that the script And film Kind of skillfully And elegantly Wrapped up arcs For Iron Man Captain mm. America um, Big Lebowski Thor <laughs> uh, Black Widow And to smaller extents uh, Hawkeye and Hulk uh, Is difficult to do And quite stunning um, I love that the OG6 Got this farewell treatment lah, Whether it was quiet scenes Of dialogue Or powerful moments In battle uh, The writers and the Russo brothers Knocked it out of the park uh, And even drew upon Obscure things Like Thor the Dark World Uh, and retroactively recontextualized it to make it more resonant. You yeah. know, they're like, you, God damn you, you will like every movie, <laughs> even Thor: The Dark World. It is important. <laughs> yeah. I mean that mother that. scene. I mean Thor was really my favorite. Oh, fucking character. Rene Russo came back. I know. Yeah. But really, isn't Thor one of the best characters out there now? Hasn't always been. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he's he cries a lot, ah. Huh? I mean, yeah, dude, he lost his home. I know exactly. Mother, father. It's well deserved. It's well deserved. And really, Chris Hemsworth has. Elevated Thor to such an extent, mm. his comedic timing is there, and then the sadness in his face, right? How he conveys that, you know, and then plus he got fat, lah. Mm. Oh man, Chris Hemsworth in a fat suit is just unconvincing. I have to say, right? But for comedic value, it really works. They should have added a bit to his chin and his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was a bit too sculpted, right? Yeah, yeah. Even with the beard and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's all good. Uh, how do you guys feel about um, them moving to Greyhawk? Well, not. Greyhawk exactly But the so, whole smart idea Smart Hulk la. Smart Hulk uh, I think yeah. it's the only w- w- The left Direction yeah, For Hulk the character to go Because yeah. we already had Hulk smash smash We already had the The Jekyll and Hyde thing Which yeah. is the original Hulk mm-hmm. And then Hulk smash Taken over yeah. Now this is the only other way to go. Mm. <laughs> We had Hulk talk In the last Thor Ragnarok already Yeah But that was yeah. like cre- uh, Mad Hulk Normal talk Normal Hulk la. And then we had Hulk refuse to come out So it was just Banner mm. And then this is the only other Thing that you can do With the yeah. Hulk mm. Smart Hulk Smart Hulk Smart Hulk No I mean I I, I loved it I, Obviously it's A lot more convenient right mm. For you to merge the characters And just like Kind of get it over and done with You don't have to transform Here and there For that uh, I, I like that Kind of not I mean like it, Obviously Grey Hulk Is one of my favourite Like um, Hulk arcs Hulk arcs right mm. But for them to bring it Into the MCU Was something that I didn't see coming mm-hmm. Honestly And I was very surprised by that I did actually quite enjoy That particular decision Mm, yeah, um, I think beyond the original crew, uh, Nebula was given, I think, the most meaty or the most tragic arc and I was impressed because I've never really thought much about Nebula as a character or Karen Gillan's performance in previous movies. So I thought the Russos have uh, appropriately made her toxic, abusive childhood 
as the centerpiece emotional bridge between our heroes and Thanos. You know, that's the emotional link. In the same way that Gamora was used in Infinity War, uh, that was Nebula's place here. Uh, she had to literally kill a past version of herself amidst the chaos, and that was you know a really good metaphor for the only way a person can change. You have to kill your past self. Uh, I mean, the splash page final battle. Jesus, I d- don't even know how to break it down. Oh, uh, when uh, all the all the female superheroes. The A Force. Uh, <laughs> Damn, yeah. that was yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, there was so much happening in every square inch of the screen. Yeah. Every time I rewatch, I found something new and cool to focus on. Uh, I mean, like Spider Man wrote a Pegasus, which oh, wow. is a, a sentence that just like I couldn't imagine ever saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, like in live action film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, uh, I would have liked to seen some other stuff. Of course. Uh, in the resolution, I think uh, it would have been nice to see Captain America return the Soul Stone because that must have been awkward. Must have been. Yeah, because you know <laughs> the Red Skull yeah. seems pretty zen about mortal concerns, but I mean, and his new cosmic role, but I think he might have showed a bit of emotion there. It's like th- this Marvel fucker, Steve, son of Rogers. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm the reason why you're here. I'm here. You're here, <laughs> son of Rogers. <laughs> <coughs> really want to know who Ivan is? I guess we'll find out. In the Black Widow solo movie coming soon in Phase Four, uh, yeah. Um, any other spoilery thoughts? Good things, bad things, anything? Uh, nah, n- not much. I mean, the the great uh, that was how you kept off a one hour battle, lah. Mm, yeah. The entire final act was huge was battle, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't don't talk about battle tactics, lah. You know, a lot of people were criticizing, uh, the A Force. You know, all the women mm-hmm. actually joining up, and I'm like, why? It's mm. great. It was awesome oh, it to was watch. Great. It was great. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah Pepper Potts joining the battle was I didn't expect that. Who's I mean, that? Yeah. Pepper Potts joining. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Battle. Oh, a uh, rescue. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, to be fair, this is the only role I actually enjoy Pepper uh, Paltrow in. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, like in her entire filmography, I don't like a lot of her movies. Shallow Hell. Don't like Seven. She died. Yeah, the but she c- wasn't. I mean, spoilers for seven. I'm so sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we are in spoiler territory. Yeah, yeah we, we are. We are. Gennaro Paltrow's character in Seven. I don't know. I didn't. It was okay. No, she was the the female the wife, victim. Brad Pitt's uh. wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah. I do uh. agree. Uh, I mean, in the end, our my eight point five. I think the more I think about it, was is justified. I, justified. I I came out of it feeling like a ten, feeling yeah. But I mean, judging it more objectively, it's definitely an eight point five. I liked it a bit lesser than Infinity War. Uh, not my favorite MCU movie. Yeah. But as a finale, I can't think of a better way to do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's let's go around and like since we are at a combination of the Infinity Saga, name your like top three movies of the Infinity Saga. Starting with number three, what is yours, Hardy? Ooh, number three will be Iron Man one. Okay, number two. Number two will be First Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, nice. Uh, or Winter Soldier. Okay. Yeah. You are cheating by choosing four K. What's I'm your number sorry, one? I'm sorry. <laughs> They're drawn lah. Yeah. Uh, my number one is the uh, Thor Ragnarok. Okay, cool. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so for me, um, three would be. Guardians one, mm-hmm. two would be Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and one would be Winter Soldier. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I think three for me will be, who Infinity War. Uh, second for me will be this one, Endgame. Ah. First is Winter Soldier. Wait, but I thought you said Infinity War was better than Endgame. Sorry. Wait. I thought yeah. you preferred Infinity Oh yeah I'm sorry Um, I meant to switch them Switched So it's, yeah. it's Infinity War first And then Endgame Yeah Yeah uh, I was going chronologically For some reason <laughs> uh, So yes uh, But Winter Soldier Has always been at my top I know I know Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's it guys That's the end of our Spoiler talk For Avengers Endgame Did you like it as much As we did I'm sure you did Shout right? out to Hal Stark 
No spoilers, but shout out to House Stark getting yeah. shit done. Yeah, getting shit done. Just bod- bodying their villains. Oh, and Tony died. That's sad too. I mean, yeah. That, that is very sad, la, but we kind of expected it. Yeah, yeah. I expected Cap to die. I think that Me was a too. huge surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Black Widow's death, I think, the most unexpected of all. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Unexpected of all. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we all settled the 8.5. Everybody's happy with that. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're moving on to our second big superhero offering of the month Shazam. Captain Marvel. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep, yeah, you're right. Shazam. Captain Marvel. It's <laughs> the lawsuit. <laughs> it's the other Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Shazam. Uh, this is an DC's entry into a very crowded uh, summer blockbuster season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a nice small film. It's funny, breezy, sweet. Uh, it's kind of a delightful kid-friendly comedy yeah. disguised as a superhero origin story. Yeah. Um, I think it's blissfully unburdened by the doom and gloom of the DCEU. Definitely. Uh, it's a popcorn crowd pleaser with heart and hilarity and Chuck's Zachary Levi is perfectly cast as Be- Billy Batson's magical alter ego once again playing a man-child discovering his new powers like he did in Chuck. Uh, he carries the film with boyish charm and wide-eyed naivety. Optimism. Yeah, uh, optimism rather than spandex-busting muscles which he, of course he does have too. Uh, while it does have its fair share of villainous threats at its core, the sentiment of the film is about growing up and finding a family. Uh, I think it's a nice small little character piece and a comedy. Uh, nothing too special about it. I enjoyed myself while I was there. What do you guys think? Mm, I came out of this movie feeling really, really um, happy. Mm. So I gave it quite a high rating when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Then after the second, third viewing, I watched it three times because you know, time yeah. things happened. You watch it more than any game. I, yeah. <laughs> no, because I had free tickets and stuff like that. But anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, it 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 depreciated in quality for me. Uh, as I, I as I watched it more, la. I I I saw more of the flaws. Um, but overall, it was still a very fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. And damn, Zachary Levi is Jack. Yeah, I mean not. I mean that's clearly a bodysuit, lah. But he's Jack anyway. I mean, real life. In yeah, real life. Yeah. Him, yeah. In Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Shazam, hands down, feel-good movie. And I, I'll be very honest, I think it is one of the best kids superhero movies that have come out. Mm. And just this kind of stemming off a small discussion I had with my eight-year-old nephew, right? And he's like, I actually like Shazam better than I like Endgame. Mm. And I was for like, well, that's mo- because you haven't been alive for most of like <laughs> MCU. Yeah. Right? For different demos. Uh, for, yeah, totally different demos. But he really... And he... Uh, I think... Um, that in and of itself is kind of a testament to to uh, the way that they decided to tell the story, the fact that it is kid-friendly, yeah. but at the same time still speaks um, to DC fans and Shazam fans overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, I, I, I left the movie being thinking it was very fun, very mm-hmm. feel-good. Uh, I was happy with it, uh, but it is on the whole forgettable, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think like in conclusion, I was whelmed. I wasn't. Whelmed. I wasn't yeah, underwhelmed yeah. or overwhelmed. I was just appropriately whelmed. Yeah. Um, it, it's fun and enjoyable. Formulaic, forgettable. Uh, it won't leave a, a, a strong lasting impression. Um, I felt this first act to be somewhat dull, and it takes a while before I truly 
took flight with the movie. Mm. Uh, but when it does, it was a joy. Uh, also, shouts out to uh, John Glover who plays uh, Sylvanas asshole dad, who also played uh, Lex Luthor's asshole dad on Smallville. Yeah, Lionel Luthor. Uh, he has the market for the personification of super villain daddy issues. Cornet, you know, yeah. that's just him. When I think about super villain daddy issues, He's you got you got to cast John Glover, man. Yeah. Fucking Lionel Luthor, aka Sylvanas dad. Because of that face, lah. He has that face. He's that asshole face. Yeah. Uh, in the end, uh, seven out of ten. Yeah, seven mm. out of ten too. Normal rating. Really? Uh, six point five. Yeah, I mean close lah. We are all yeah, like yeah, yeah. a moderate recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I mean, uh, one thing that I liked Shazam was because of its uh, okay, like the the first first act was a bit boring, mm. right? But the second and third act picked up, and you know it ended well. Mm. Something that I felt Wonder Woman missed a bit, mm. you know, with the third act fight and all that stuff. Yeah, I'll rather end strong than end, end strong. Weak, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But it didn't like I didn't have the kind of like Wonder Woman moment also, mm. you know, of her walking into uh, out of the the, the yeah the trenches, mm. you know, into no man's land, you know, that kind of epic feeling. Mm. It doesn't hit the highs lah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I did think the introduction of the Shazam family was interesting though. That yeah. was interesting. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, well, I didn't expect that for like an origin story. The first I, movie. Yeah. Exactly. I thought that would be coming in in the third or fourth. You know. Yeah, when they face off uh, against the Rock or something. Yeah. Black, oh, Black Adam. Black Adam. Sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> He's always the Rock to me. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. I'm pretty excited for Black Adam movie though. Yeah, yeah. The Rock has been promising us that since 2011, yeah. so we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, at least the Shaz- Shazam movie is out now. So. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, and even he didn't get to be in that. So <laughs> that's why <laughs> there wasn't even a post-credit scene with him. I mean, he was referenced. Sure. Yeah. 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 He was referenced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up will be uh, oh boy, so many superhero men. Uh, we'll be oh. ta- we'll be talking about Netflix's new Ultraman anime. Uh, out on Netflix right now guys So if you do want to binge it You can just get a Netflix account Go watch it right now It's enjoyable uh, The new Ultraman anime isn't a reboot It's actually a direct canon continuation of Ultra Q From the 1960s mm-hmm. uh, Obviously a lot of time has passed So a lot of changes to the style and tone of Ultraman have been made For one, the live action uh, Tokusatsu If can I'm can, 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 can. pronouncing that correctly, sorry to our Japanese listeners. Uh, visuals have been traded in for like 3D CG animation. Uh, now I've been on the record saying that I hate this style of animation, but once I acclimatized to it, I didn't bother me too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title hero is no longer giant form. No, uh, he's just a human-sized hero who's inherited the Ultraman gene from his dad. Mm-hmm. Yes, you heard that right. The story jumps ahead to follow his son Hayata. The young boy lah. The yeah. young boy Hayata. Uh, uh, no, sorry. Uh, Hayata is the dad. Uh, the original Ultraman, and his What son is Shinjiro. Sh- yes, Shinjiro. That's the guy. Yeah. Uh, as the latter, Shinjiro prepares to take over the mantle from his dad. Lah. Um, other evolutions or changes uh, include a shift from the kaiju of the week format to a more serialized story, which mm. includes um, a conspiracy angle, local police investigations, and the mysterious mysterious plans of the science patrol led by some shady characters, yeah. both humans and alien alike. Uh, the series is also a chance to get to know an all-new Ultraman as Shinjiro learns the limits of his powers, the responsibility that comes with the title and popularity, and the politics that he's become entangled in through no fault of his own. Yeah, um, I had some issues with it also, but I mostly enjoyed it. But before I delve into, I guess, my criticisms, what do you guys overall think about the new Ultraman? Did you all see it? Uh, yeah, part of it. Okay. I couldn't finish it in time. Okay. But... I'm okay with self-shading already. Okay. Long time used to it already. Uh, I like that it was a totally... It's not the usual Ultraman that we expected. Mm. Uh, because I think that will get bo- boring really fast. Mm. Um, good angles all around so far. I've, I'm halfway through. Uh, 
I'm I'm just concerned with the emotional. It's very hard to convey emotion with the animation style. Yeah. Mm. So and sometimes the voice acting voice acting is a bit off also. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that took me out a bit, but overall it was fun, fun, fun. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I I think you watched the whole thing. Yeah, I finished the whole thing. Um, generally, I I I never actually followed uh, much of the manga, right? Which which is where the the content is derived from, right? Mm. Uh, overall, I mean, like I'm fine with cel shading, but again, it has its weaknesses. I don't think, um, if the voice acting isn't on point, it's quite difficult. And I think like we saw a lot of instances of that, mm. uh, throughout where it, like key emotional moments fell flat, yeah. quite literally, um, and. Other than that, like some things I really loved, I actually really like um the new kind of like art direction as far as the costumes go. Mm. I thought the monster designs were great. Monster re- creature designs were uh, amazing. I yeah. thought the fight scenes were great. Yeah. Uh, and oh, overall, like I I thought it was quite dynamic. You know, whenever they weren't particularly jumping into <laughs> some very kind of like obscure conspiracy theory that they are referencing that never actually gets revealed right? for future seasons I guess yeah for sure Um, I do feel like it's one of those it's yet another whiny protagonist right mm. uh, which is anime yeah so typical of, of anime in, in general mm. Uh, but I do feel after the introduction of the other two Ultraman mm. um, that kind of gave like a counterpoint right like so you have your typical whiny protagonist your whole like shonen power arc and all of that mm. and then you have the other two Ultraman who aren't gifted mm. who aren't thrust into uh, responsibility like his but uh, elect their responsibility they choose a responsibility for themselves mm. uh, I thought that was a very interesting counterpoint and I thought that gave a lot more depth to the series mm. um, uh, especially in the later half mm. because yeah. of the personal ambition of the other two Ultraman uh, they are more interesting characters. Yes, for sure. And and they're also more violent and more prone to lacking morality, lah. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, in terms of achieving their goals, whether it's good or bad, uh, which in turn also makes the morality of Shinjiro more important because it existed in a in a full breath, uh, black and white context already, lah. Yeah. So now there's grey, and now that Shinjiro can actually be a counterpoint to someone else, lah. So you know now there is a debate: uh, Do you kill aliens? Do you not? You know that kind of thing, lah. Mm-hmm. Whereas like at first it's just his point of view, and just having a white bread good guy Superman without you know the other point of view is very uninteresting. Uh, now there are some minor minor pace- pacing issues. <laughs> My, uh, I, yeah. I, I I I I saw it. I didn't feel too bothered by it because it's a short series. Uh, I think overall, I I remember like um in the initial viewing, especially when I was about halfway through, I did feel like the first arc. Really did struggle a bit, right? Just because of the focus on Shinjiro and his father's legacy, mm-hmm. um, they took a bit too long. I felt like that could have been condensed into far fewer episodes than it actually took. Mm. Um, yeah, and and but I think once we hit the halfway mark, and especially for the third arc, uh, pacing wasn't really much of a problem. Of course, that was rectified with having a lot more battle scenes, mm. right? Uh, which obviously uh, always helps, right? Mm. Uh, that seems to be the theme of this particular episode: a lot of battle scenes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I it was okay. Yeah, right? okay. Given how short each episode was, and given like what they were trying to do, right? Mm. The the creators were saying that they want to reintroduce a. a very Japanese superhero, right? Um, back to the world. Mm. I think they did a good job with that. Uh, I don't know how um, successful it's going to be overall as a franchise, but we'll have to see. Yeah, um, I think overall I, I kind of enjoyed the world building. 
uh, the mythology expansion, you know, with the alien community on Earth, felt very super girlish. It is, yeah. Um, its characters are more developed in terms of motivation and moral complexity than previous Ultramans that I've seen. For so sure. that's an improvement. Yep. Um, I even like the burgeoning romance with J-pop uh, idol Rena Sayama, which kind of gives Shinjiro this Peter Parker, Mary Jane kind yeah, of dynamic. Yeah, it did have that feeling. Uh, but the best part, like you said, were the awesome action sequences. Uh, not only is the skill impressive and the results more viscerally violent than any Ultraman I've ever seen. Yeah. Because they, they can do it on Netflix. <laughs> uh, but the fights themselves just, you know, cool mix of like cosmic weapons, martial arts and like pro wrestling moves. Oh man, I, the suplex still like, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a psychology to the fights that like I really recognize from like actual pro wrestling. So, it, I mean, it's very Japan. Like, Japan, like pro wrestling is very ingrained in their fighting uh, mythos. Uh, yeah, it's just straight cool as fuck. Uh. Um, overall, the changes may take some getting used to, for especially for hardcore Ultraman fans who I know have issues with it. But I think ultimately it proves to be an engaging ride for fans old and new. So uh, seven out of ten, it's a pass. Yeah, uh, halfway through seven or so. Yeah. Okay, it's a six point five for me, but yeah, we're about on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we like we liked it. it nothing to like sing home about, but at the same time. I think it's worth a watch if you have some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, everybody has Netflix these days anyway. So, there you go. Uh, next up, I think it's a solo review uh, for now. Uh, I would have included it in Quick Hits, our later segment. But uh-huh. I wanted to speak a bit more at length about this. Alright. Uh, it's the new season, the fourth season of uh, The Magicians. Is this the last season? or mm, It could be the last season, but I can't really spoil too much about yeah, okay. why. No uh, it could feel like that. La, okay. But like every season of The Magicians feels like it's the last season. So they take very big swings with the finale. Because you've been raving about this show. Yeah, Which yeah. both of us haven't really watched yet. Right, right. So uh, why? Okay, so after a, a kind of mixed first season, mm-hmm. which a lot of people gave up on, The Magicians, I think, grew to be a very weird... Very brief Very creatively daring show On TV It's kind of long given up Its source materials Attempts to be the new Buffy Or the new Harry Potter uh, And kind of spun off Into its own wild And exciting tangents Involving like You know Time travel (laughs) Again (laughs) Alternate dimensions And demons And gods All while dealing with A Co- the complicated politics of a bunch of students ruling a fantasy kingdom yeah. like Narnia uh, but you know really delving into the politics of it uh, like for example do talking animals deserve to vote etc uh, all while dealing with um, other more harrowing issues like uh, one character gets raped uh, late in the first season you know and you're still dealing with the emotional trauma from that until now because you know it doesn't go away uh, it can be unashamedly silly uh, at, a, at the same time it can be very emotionally serious um, it has very very firm rules on logic and a clever internal logic so you can always understand the cause and consequences of every spell what they can do what they can't do and what are the ways around it by combining various spells you've learned mm. from past seasons so one of the big issues I have with magic yeah. shows uh, like Harry Potter or Sabrina or they whatever. They own internal logic. It's not just the internal logic. It just feels like the magic is a plot device. Like ah. anything can happen to advance the plot. Okay. You want to bring back this character because there is a spell, yeah. you know, etc. Like it just feels like oh, we Very insert McGuffin, we insert this spell because we need it to happen in the plot. It never feels that way in the, in the magicians because like, you know the rules. Of yeah. It. yeah, yeah. Uh, there is nothing contrived about the show's direction. It's one of those shows that keeps me on my toes like mm-hmm. every five minutes. Um, I want you to think about a show like The Good Place yeah. which frequently changes up its status quo yeah. like The Magicians does it like more often which kind of says a lot about how often it changes its status quo uh, and it does have a knack of reinventing itself uh, they make seemingly insane and incredible left field decisions out of nowhere and then they follow through and stick with it and then it becomes 
like the show from now on. Okay. Yeah, like usually with like you know in Buffy or like Supernatural and then like there's a body swap or whatever or something like that. You're like, oh, back to go back to school. Uh. No, yeah. they don't. They will stick that way for the whole season. I mean, it's it's like that. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's, brief. that's what I really liked about it. Yeah. yeah, it's always ballsy enough to carry its problems to its logical conclusion, and if that changes the trajectory of the show. So be it. Fuck it. That's the new premise to the show. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, they always go in the most interesting direction. They always like I think at every pivot point of a, a, a when you're reaching a narrative decision, they always think, well, what's the most interesting thing we can do? Then we'll deal with the consequences later. So they always do the most interesting thing. Uh, watching the magicians is like watch hard to describe to people who haven't seen it. Yeah. So I'm just gonna like give like an abstract metaphor. Like, have you ever seen like a a, a ball in a pinball machine? Yeah. It's like trying to follow a ball in a pinball machine, you know. Like it moves so fast and unpredictably, but it isn't random because you can see why it's going in that direction. Yeah. But sometimes it hits into like you know the little holes and you don't know where the fuck is coming from. It's like that. So for short stretches, you feel confident about its trajectory and momentum until suddenly it ricochets and then it ex- expands into unexpected places. Uh, it's dizzying, but it's also thrilling, and I think the emotional arcs are what carry it through. So you can get very confused with the combinated plot, mm. but as long as you follow the character emotional beats, you know, then that's what matters, lah. And okay. it's, it's just done wonderfully. So is it as zany as, let's say, more than like what leg- legends, legends or Doom Patrol? Or Doom. It's like it's more. It's not as zany as Legends because mm. Legends is zany. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that is like it's yeah, that thing, lah. Yeah. Uh, Doom Patrol is getting to the point of where the magicians is now because they're kind of marrying the zaniness with emotional yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there isn't emotional weight enough emotional weight yet, just because we don't know the characters as well. Okay. Then there's, you know there's like four seasons of we know who these people are, yeah, yeah, what yeah. they're doing, okay. uh, sacrifices they've made. So there's that lah. Uh, and most crucially, in an era where all shows are serialized to the point where each episodes blend into one another. I mean, think about. I I hear all these showrunners keep saying I'm making a 13-hour movie. I'm making a 13-hour movie. No, you're making a TV show. God damn it! Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Netflix, Daredevil, and all that lah. Can you actually name me a singular like Daredevil or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or anyone like a particular episode? You can't, you know, because they all just blend together. Yeah. The Magicians takes pride in crafting extremely distinctive episodes. Extremely distinctive. It's serialized in a sense that they all connect to to serve an overarching narrative. But each episode is. Different genre or a different vibe or a different framing device. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't remember what episode six of season two of Luke Cage is, but I remember every single episode of the show because they all feel different. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's unformula- unformulaic in in that way, like, You know, there is that heist episode, there is an alternate reality episode, there is a literal silent episode, and when I say silent episode, I mean not in. The Joss Whedon We do hush And then there's still music In the background And people holding signs When I mean silent is It's from the point of view Of a deaf person So there's literally No sound on the screen At all Oh so like Master of None Yeah Something like that you know. But that was only like Five minutes only yeah, yeah I mean like Think about like Building an entire show On that like, With no sound design at all like. it's, wow. it's It's Difficult to do like, You know uh, and and so on. There are many of these types of episodes. Uh, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I think The Magicians right now is my favorite show on air. I think it's the best show on air, and I don't think it's a close race. Uh, first show for me for this year, I guess at least that I will be rating a ten out of ten. Got them. Yeah, it's, it's so perfect. It's, a... it's 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 the most perfect show like I've seen in a long time. So it's a must watch, lah. It is well, from season two onwards. It's pretty much a must watch. A bit like Agents of Shield. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, past a certain point, you can't stop and becomes really amazing. But I think more than Agents of Shield, this is this is better than Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield usually I rate it around eight, nine. You know. So I yeah. feel like 
they have constantly given me nine, nine point five, ten seasons, uh, and the consistency is is just unheard of to me. I've never seen a show that is just this consistent every season. And what they did in the finale, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm not going to spoil it if you have, okay. haven't seen it. But it's it's one of the bravest things I've seen a show do. Uh, legitimately, I think book fans might be upset, but you know, fuck it lah. They've gone way past this the book series. This is a TV show. Yeah, yeah. The problem with book fans is you have to realize it's a TV show. Correct. It's a different medium. It's a totally different medium. Yeah. yeah. So um, ten out of ten for me. The Magicians is a must watch. All right. Uh, next up, gonna be diving into something uh equally magical. Uh, the new Netflix, uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, obviously a reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Currently on its second season. Uh, and I must say, uh, Bad Witch Sabrina, a bit more interesting. Yes, definitely. Um, as her resistance to Satan, I can't believe I'm saying this, is gradually eroded. Uh, I've come to organically and retroactively accept Sabrina's personality flaws because now they're just interesting because she's evil. <laughs> well, I mean, s- starting to trend towards yeah. evil. Uh, yes, she is well-intentioned and strong-willed and defiantly feminist, but which are you know, those are all great things, good mm-hmm. qualities to have. Yeah. But her ways of going about those things come from a place of entitlement, hypocrisy, and arrogance. And I feel like Sabrina, the character, is emblematic of the show <laughs> or of um some some not all some white women in general or like white those you know, those yeah. white feminists. Yeah. You know. Um, all the shows Good points from season 1 Are elevated The visual palette I think is richer yep, The for sure. themes of female autonomy Are more pronounced mm-hmm. uh, And the brutal consequences Are not skipped on But all its flaws Are still there And they're even more glaring This time Really it's better and worse <laughs> um, The execution of his messaging Is very simple minded uh, Characterizations are hollow Especially with uh, Sabrina's mortal friends mm-hmm. Who have very interesting Things going on You know with uh, Gender identity And stuff like that yep. But I think it's n- not Explored enough uh, and pacing is still a huge issue. Um, it's a mixed portion, but a fun one. Uh, what do you think about this, uh, Isa? Oh man, every episode I was watching felt like they're trying to hit me with a hammer. Mm, mm. <clears throat> there was very little sat- subtlety in that, right? And mm-hmm. I think like the the kind of shift that they wanted, or at least they tried to, from season one to season two, with you know, good girl gone bad, that whole idea. I don't think that was very successful. Mm. Right, uh, it felt a bit sudden in terms of Sabrina's actual character development, uh, and it's very heavy-handed, mm. just overall. Right, um, I did enjoy some of the silliness of it, you know. Uh, in a like, uh, yeah, yeah uh, like spoiler alert, but like really stealing a piece of gum. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, but it's it's like it's more of a. Um, it's not the actual act of stealing gum; it's your willingness to do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and. Uh, that just didn't like. There are just so many, so many problems with the series itself. I mean, like if you're willing to turn off your brain for a while and you don't ga- mind being slapped by a giant mm. <coughs> piece of social messaging, yeah, yeah, I I think it's still fun. Yeah. Uh, I do think that they've really tuned in the visual um aspect of it though. Um, the costume design is great. The art direction is great. Uh, I do feel like they haven't. Used as much of that lingering shots mm. that they did in season one that I found very annoying. The blurry edge ones. Yeah, the yeah. blurry edge ones, yeah. and uh, that really did help. Mm. Um, b- 
but it didn't solve any pacing issues for me. Mm. Um, I felt that this particular season isn't a season two; it's the back half of season one that they split up. Yeah, it felt that that way. I think it really is because it premiered like what seven months after the first season or less probably. than actually. Yeah, they probably shot everything at one go. And our last mm. episode on this we did around October ish, and now it's April. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, I think it must have been shot at the same time. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, it, which is interesting, right? Like, given some of the things that we've noticed. Uh, if they really did shoot it at the same time, then why would, did they choose this particular point to branch off and eventually split into its own second season, right? Uh, but I think Sabrina suffers from a lot of the same problems that we have in Riverdale, you know. Uh, and you can forgive the premise for as long as it's eye candy and it's entertaining and it's silly. Uh, but when it get when push comes to shove, uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I'll rate it a five out of ten. Same here for me. Yeah, just uh, good enough to watch, not good enough to recommend. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel that some of the horror moments in this season weren't as good. Same, same. Uh, I think this will be the last time we'll be reviewing Sabrina as a major topic. Um, from now on, I think if we're ever reviewing future seasons, it's going to be downgraded to a quick hit section. Yep, for sure. I don't think it's worthy of that much time, but I mean, still got hype around it, so I mean, why not? Lah? It's, a, it's a clickbait title, so why not? Uh, next up, uh, I'm gonna hand over the reins to my co-hosts Isa yes. and Hardy because they'll be talking about the second season, the highly acclaimed second season. I might add uh, uh-huh. a lot of rave reviews around there oh of uh, Star Trek Discovery. So, um, this is the this this is the deal that I'll make with you two after you guys. Re- I yeah. mean, before well, you guys review it first, then I'll make a deal with you guys. What? Like, ke- stay tuned for the deal. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just to we have to stay tuned. Stay tuned, you guys. You know, because I haven't like told them what the deal is. Okay. Also, but. Yeah, so if you want to Yeah, just, just stay tuned I'll have a deal with them And we'll make a compromise Okay, okay. I haven't seen Star Trek Discovery You mm. all know my issues with this yeah, If you yeah. tune back to our early episodes yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'm planning to oh, wow. Hopefully uh, oh. If if my co-host uh, can convince me now So uh, let's go oh, for it Okay, go How, what do you think? Alright uh, Damn, that was a good second season, right? Yeah Yeah sure. uh, It was it, it was relatively it was relatively different. Um, the tone from the first season to the second season definitely changed a great bit. Um, yeah. The addition of Pike, right, as captain, that was helped. a huge, huge bonus. First of all, that's a, uh, it was a redeeming role for Ensign Mount. Yes, for sure. Who, yeah, yeah, definitely. Who screwed up in... I'm not, not his fault, but the Inhumans. Lah, yeah. Remember that short-lived series? Uh, it, was, it was very, very good. I think like in introducing Pike and just going in a direction... Uh, in this particular direction that they took for season two was refreshing. Yes, uh, it was refreshing for us because we we followed season one and we liked yeah, season yeah, yeah. one, right? We did. Uh, but for once, I think like Discovery is finally getting back to its track roots. Yeah, right. With the introduction of Pike, with the introduction of Spock, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. A, a bit of a darker Spock than we we are used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a bit more tortured. Yeah. Um, than he usually is in, in in any of the other series that we've seen him in. Um, but like these two characters and having these transplants from Enterprise uh, really has changed it up a fair bit and seeing where our beloved characters have come from uh, with Saru and with Michael Burnham from season one and even the return of um, her empress Philippa <laughs> <laughs> Giorgio Philippa Giorgio uh, I really enjoyed it yeah. I really really enjoyed it uh, I think overall like even though we didn't quite see your um, next generation or your Deep Space Nine it's not really in that vein right they don't hit the same kind of beats uh, yeah. but the whole exploratory the whole um, goodwill 
of science of of science and yeah. of progress and of exploration a lot of that is explored here whereas season 1 was a lot more about war. war and the consequences of war and you know like the the what are the Oh, not the limits of human morality, right, or Terran morality for that that matter. Mm. But that exploration isn't something that we are um, used to in in the Trek world. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, but I think a lot of that has been been put aside, mm-hmm. but are still referenced whenever it's important for character development. Yeah, I mean, it was a great war that happened. It, it yeah. was. Uh, I thought the resolution of season one was great. Yeah, as well. Uh, and I was just very surprised to see how our characters within. Uh, Discovery have grown with the addition of 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 these okay. and, um, yeah. with Pike and with uh, with Spock. I mean, this season had much more um, a more more interesting plot for sure. You had the AI thing, yep. Right, you had the time traveling thing, yep. You had the, again another time traveling show, yes, yeah, and another major final battle. Another yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah, a really major final battle. I actually think in terms of skill, yeah lah, yeah lah, because space one, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the collaboration and all that. Okay, but again, your main character is like Burnham, Burnham. Yes, Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham, and how she juggles her human her humanity with her. Um, uh, Vulcan logic, logic is quite quite interesting, you know how she yeah. can code switch lah, basically. Yeah, I think it's also a very interesting um counterpoint to Spock's Spock. humanity yeah. and his and Vulcan his, yes, correct um lineage, right? Uh, and of course, like revelations such that Spock is actually dyslexic. Yeah, right, or because has of a form of dyslexia yeah. uh, that he inherits from his human side. Mm. Uh, something that. I think hitherto we've never been been privy to, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting. It mm-hmm. makes him a much more interesting character. I feel, uh, especially like given where Discovery is placed in the chronological timeline mm-hmm. of the Trek universe. Yeah. Um, I mean, we get to see early Spock, right? Yeah. And this is not J J Abrams kind of Spock. No. You know, this was a lot cleverer, a lot more cerebral, a lot more. Um, Emotionally grounded, I guess. Um, uh, I'm not sure about emotionally grounded, but this version of Spock struggles and struggles very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And I liked that about um, you know, how he was portrayed, and of course the beard helped. Uh, the beard helped. Uh, yeah, like, we had the whole gravitas of 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 his character. Um, what else is there? I mean, like even minor characters like uh, Tilly. Tilly had a good arc. Tilly had a great arc. Um, um Dr. Culber and his boyfriend had a great arc, a great right? Arc. Like all of those like these little little um character moments that are spread throughout the this grand theme of trying to save yeah. the world from itself, right? Um, Figuring out what the hell is the signals about, you know, and all that and yeah. slowly getting, you know, more and more uh pieces fitting in together and then at the final episode, you, you felt like it was a really well-deserved journey. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, uh, you know again as with uh, other things we've been talking about a lot of pseudoscience going on right um, but again it's forgivable it hit the right notes all the time it gave um, the right closure had the epic track moments yeah it really really did and like a lot of these like um, moments of moral decisions that hang in the balance that were extremely important you know and what most track fans actually love yeah um, I do feel like the way that they ended this particular season is a great stepping off point. Yeah. Because now we leave um, the Enterprise transplants behind uh, and we are in totally new ground, ground yeah. right? Which is what, what um, you know, Star Trek is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like Discovery is finally going to live up to its namesake after discovery. 
two full seasons. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. and I'm really excited to see what's happened. I mean, uh, the spore drive was a bit of a MacGuffin in the the previous season, especially for season one. Yeah, so um, right now, like how it was actually neutered lah in a way. Yes, in this season, it's sure. quite good lah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like now we have time travel, you know. So like, <laughs> it's 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 really fascinating the way that they've decided to deal with time travel. Uh, again, Two wormholes and all that. Yeah, like, it's yeah. linear. It's not uh, branching timelines anymore per se, right? Because we only follow our discovery yeah. crew. You know, we don't ever see the other the other branching timelines. Uh, and I mean, that we've in been and of to itself, a parallel universe, lah. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting the way that they explored it. It was less problematic than I thought it would yeah. be when they first introduced it. Agreed. Uh, the big reviews were fascinating. It was. Yeah. So. No Okay, I I mean like we've been big fans since season one, and uh, season two has just really upped the ante the, yes. a fair bit. Everything that was good in season one has gotten better, better. with the the costuming, the art direction, the way it's shot. It's oh, beautifully shot. Come on, you like the classic uniforms coming back, right? Yeah, and even <laughs> even the re revisiting Enterprise right in this kind of like. HD yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of clarity is so so like satisfying. Yeah. It really really is. Um, but yeah, it's a strong recommendation from me. I think this season two is a seven point five for me. I feel that this season will help Trek fans get into Star Trek Discovery. I agree. If let's say you have a long time Star Trek fan and you hated Discovery in season one, like Hitze, or you are a Trek fan who has been disillusioned by the J.J. Abrams uh, movies and all that, yeah, season two is a good. Like a good transition yeah. season for you. Yeah, I I would actually liken seven point five or so lah. By yeah. the way, I would actually liken it to like season two for Agents of Shield. Yes, you get what yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. it was kind of the point in time whereby I can start to see where this is going to get really good. Yeah, down the road. Uh, and I got that same feeling midway through the season. That like, okay, Agreed. you know, yeah. I'm I'm kind of like I'm everybody was on now. their game. Yeah, yeah. So it was really really good. Uh, I do feel like. Some of the, I mean, given that Michael Burnham is the central character of this one, there is a few. Pro- some of the writing is a bit problematic in terms of her characterization, mm. in terms of his consistency overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She goes to extremes sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't think we've seen enough of her background, of her story, of 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 the series in general, for us to actually justify some of the decisions she made. Mm. Uh, but in the greater scheme of it makes sense of this season, I yeah. think I think it was okay. Yeah. Um, so you guys, seven point five unanimously. Yeah, seven point five. Very nicely done. Okay. Um, What's the deal? The deal is right. Um, I guess this time next year, exactly this time, this episode next year, like the the May ep- the May first yeah. episode next year, I will review Star Trek Discovery with you guys. Uh-huh. If you watch the Magicians. Okay. I have no issue watching Dude, the Magicians. You I'm, have convinced I'm, me to watch the Magicians. Yeah, I'm like now. two <laughs> and a half. Seasons in, so I'm I'm not at all. I'm getting ready for it now. Cool. Okay, so we have a year. Um, yeah, I was gonna watch Star Trek Discovery anyway, but I thought that was gonna be a Okay, fine. But that, keep in mind, I also said this last year, and I didn't end up watching it. Exactly. So, so this one is like, uh, a way to like, uh, keep my word, lah. Okay. Yeah, it keeps me in check because right. you know, if I, if I want you to review the magicians, I'll watch this. We'll yeah, both watch sure. the magicians for you watching Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And falling back in love with Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, thank God, man. Uh, the JJ Abrams stuff did a number on me, right? Yeah, and then I was just very because he tried to be Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to get Star Wars at that time. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, he's finally gonna end. Tra- Never mind. Uh, this this for <laughs> another episode. This for another episode. Uh, this time, uh, we're gonna be delving into a segment I like. I like to call quick hits, Yay. where I briefly talk about a bunch of titles that my co-hosts um haven't seen because they are busy. 
or uh, are not important enough to talk at length about mm-hmm. you know because they are not good uh and in that vein the first item we're talking about is the new r-rated reboot of hellboy I was there with you. Yes, Hadi uh, uh, okay. um came to the premiere with me. Uh, we got free tickets, so you know, why not, right? Uh, it's directed by Neil Marshall, uh, who did who did um the Descent, I believe, from back in the Which day. Which is uh, a damn good show. Great movie, horror movie, yeah. Uh, and right off the bat, I can tell you, um, it it deserves its R rating. It's indeed gorier, bloodier, and more violent and more vulgar. Um, Singapore did the unusual step of releasing in two versions of it. There's yeah. an M- a PG thirteen and an M eighteen version. Yeah. So it depends on what you want to watch. Uh, unfortunately, those things don't make a good movie. Yeah. Uh, this was an exceptionally terrible one, I must say. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are ingredients of a good movie in there somewhere, but this was so poorly edited that it felt lifeless and incoherent. We just jumped from one scene to the next with no rhyme or reason, giving the movie no time to breathe. It's a jumbled mess that feels lazily put together during post production, which is a shame because I think in a vacuum, the action sequences were good. good. Dialogue was corny but enjoyable. The creature designs were truly amazing. Oh yes. Uh, David Harbour delivered a really good performance, uh, living up to Ron Perlman's example. Yeah. Uh, sadly, those ingredients weren't enough uh, cooked properly. I think yeah. the ingredients were good. It just wasn't cooked properly, and what we got was a tedious experience. It Do you want to like jump in a bit on this? It's just that I was so frustrated with this. Yeah. Because you you could tell right there were moments like, hey, actually this is this mm. this can be good. Yeah, it's just sort of like why why the weird editing? Yeah. yeah. Really weird cuts. Really like, hey, why are we here now? Mm. How did we get here? Yeah. You know that kind of feeling throughout the entire movie. We were so disillusioned. I think that we just left after the yeah, credits roll. Yeah, we were informed that there were two post-credit scenes, but we just left. We just didn't we, care. I didn't care about the future of this franchise because we knew that there would not be any. We wanted to catch the last train. Also, I knew there would be no future to this franchise. Yeah, I know. And the fact that it's made like seven million dollars <laughs> is pretty sad. <laughs> no way. And like three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Wait, uh, it made seven million only. Yeah, I think like worldwide or something. It's it's a it's a pretty big bomb. It's a pretty huge bomb. That might be the biggest bomb. Yeah, of all time. I mean, in be- it's it's positioned in between Shazam, Game of Thrones, and uh, Avengers Endgame. It was yeah, it not. Fucked, it was it was fucked to begin with. Yeah, like. yeah, Even yeah. if it was good, yeah, I yeah. think it was just fucked by the calendar. But now they they they're fucked in 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 the money terms and no critical game. <laughs> thank God it's bad yeah, Because if it was good, I would be like wanting a sequel. Yeah, me you too. Know, thank God it's bad like yeah, it's thank God. silver linings. <laughs> silver lining. Uh, next. Speaking of reboots, uh. Next one we're talking about is uh, a sort of remake of uh, Pet Cemetery because you know uh, the Stephen King book novel Pet Cemetery. One version of it came out in 1989 yeah. as a film. Uh, everybody knows yeah. the actual uh, book which came out in 1987, I believe. So it's been a long time since we had I a pet, this. since we had a Pet yeah. Cemetery um, adaptation. So this new Pet Cemetery isn't perfect. But it has the kind of serious balls any good adaptation should have. I feel the themes of um, <coughs> I think grief and mortality in yeah. Stephen King's novels are expanded. Uh, plus, there are huge deviations. Huge. I mean, like like gargantuan deviations to give familiar mm. fans some welcome surprises. Can you tell me what the deviations are. Um, this is an annoying spoiler review. I'll, oh, tell, okay. I'll, I'll tell you like afterwards. offline. Yeah, yeah, offline, offline. Um, yeah, but I mean more than yet another cover of a beloved classic. Yeah. This new version. Contracts its focus into a family nightmare and expands its themes, uh, and it makes clever changes to the source material that lead to, I, I think, more shocking and much darker paths. Okay. Uh, King diehards and fans of the nineteen eighty nine movie have cried foul over the new alterations, but um, I discovered that they are smart and they brilliantly subvert expectations. Okay. Uh, like The Shining or Misery, some of the best King adaptations have kind of forged their own identities. Uh, that doesn't mean this film is blasphemous. You know, The Shining, many consider it to be <coughs> blasphemous, but I think it's the best Stephen King adaptation out there. Even though Stephen King himself hates it, hates it, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But it was on a lot of coke that time, no? Yeah, he was. Uh, I I think most importantly, it stays true to the spirit of King's teams rather than uh being faithful to the to the text on the page. Uh, this is an emotionally complex movie about death that's smarter than your average studio horror. Uh, Stephen King purists or casuals looking for a jump scare crowd pleaser might be disappointed, but those with a more open mind might appreciate the craft and cerebral nature of this remake. So, uh, f- yeah, this is this is a really good Stephen King adaptation. It's a seven point five out of ten for me. Wow. Yeah. Do you have? I mean, since you watched it, do you have a rating for it as well? I I'll give it a seven point five lah. Yeah. Yeah, but you pretty much said everything that I wanted to say about the movie. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about the second season of Amazon's The Tick. Oh yeah, how did that go? Yeah. Um, for over thirty years, right? Mm. Ben Atlan created the Tick. Tick. Oh, more than thirty years ago. Actually, more than thirty years ago. The Tick has been around as a satirical love letter to comic book tropes in various forms. You know, it started as a cartoon. Start, actually, no, it started as a comic. comic, comic. Then it moved into a cartoon. Then a became, very well done cartoon. Well done cartoon. It became a live action TV show. Very well done. Also well done. And now it's a new live action TV show. And all throughout, it's kept the same writer, director, Ben Atlan. So, huh? I mean, it's the same guy. Throughout? Throughout, yeah. From the beginning, oh, ben, ben Atlan has been at the helm and show running all these shows wow. and, and writ- written a comic book. Okay. Yeah, but for the majority of its existence, right? This type of thing, the satire of comic book tropes, only had a niche audience. However, this modern era of superhero saturation in the mainstream has really armed its creator with tons of material to unpack through comedy. And also the fact that everybody knows these tropes now. Yeah. Like like everybody it's in the world mainstream, yeah. everybody in the world went to watch Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I mean all the Avengers movies, like you all know what the tropes are. So it's no longer to like the you know the the comic book guy in The Simpsons, uh, you know, it's no longer that audience. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that one out of a million. Uh, yeah. Everybody, this uh, this is for everybody right now, and I feel like as a superhero spoof, because of that, the tick has reached his fullest potential in the second season of his Amazon incarnation. Okay. Um, yeah. What at the time than now has superheroes been more prevalent? Yes, season two parodies the phenomenon, specifically the modern phenomenon of the dark and gritty take. Uh, and it does so in ways that will leave you in, in stitches uh, It's really funny But what makes it stand apart from something like Deadpool yeah. Or Lego Batman Is that it doesn't just poke fun at the, pop- at the popular things It's also smart enough to probe why it is popular You know, Why are they interested in superhero movies now? Why do they want the gr- dark and gritty thing? Oh, but but at the same time, still you know, having yeah. a laugh at it uh, And also at the same time Taking all of that out of the equation, right? It still tells a thrilling, twisty, and emotionally fulfilling story that can totally stand on its own. Okay. Like, even if you don't know the tropes, you don't know that it's a satire or homage to something, right? It works on its own. Because oh. I feel like Deadpool doesn't work on its own. Like, it if you if you don't understand any of the jokes, it yeah, yeah, as, it as a story, it just doesn't work. This works as a story. Um, and as silly as the show is, the Tick asks some pretty good questions about who we expect to be heroes, who we think are villains, and who gets entirely dismissed as a support character, you know? So they explore why is someone considered a support character? Why is someone considered a hero? And yeah, I think that's great. The center of this conflict is actually a character called Overkill, uh, who most directly parodies the 90s image archetype, or the Punisher even, which is not an image archetype, yeah, but yeah. pretty much inspired your Todd McFarlane's and yeah, all that. Yeah. Uh, he acts as a commentary on any number of other emotionally repressed grim male heroes. Like Overkill and Dot, who is Arthur's sister, mm. uh, has a relationship that provides a clear parallel between uh, Frank Castle and uh, Karen Page. I mean, it's it's clearly making fun of that. Like, it's so obvious. Uh, but the Tick's version is actually stronger than 
the actual thing because Dot is more willing to call overkill on his bullshit. Oh. Plus, the plot also provides a sharp critique on how women are often regarded as support characters and love interests in superhero stories. Uh, there's also an interesting subplot with Miss Lint, who is one of the henchmen of uh, the Terror in season one. So this time she has transitioned from a supervillain to a superhero, uh, because there is more money in it. Oh. Yeah, I mean she got a job lah. You know, oh. she get a st- steady paycheck instead of freelancing. That's pretty much a reasoning. <laughs> That uh, makes sense though Yeah Because <laughs> they have the whole Like the shield S organization yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, why don't I join I get the steady paycheck And plus The secondary reason Is get sh- she gets to eliminate Her competitors uh, Yeah uh, And it's Yeah that's Pretty much the joke like, She's actually a super villain Like at night And a superhero by day Capitalism Yeah capitalism You know Yeah, yeah. Go, go where the money takes you I guess yeah. uh, Yes there are broader jokes With like I mentioned There's a shield S organization And there's a black exploitation Version of Doctor Strange Which is hilarious He's just a wizard With a third nipple And that's his eye of Agamotto And that's, no. that comes from His third nipple uh, There's an evil <laughs> Okay Not a human trafficking ring yeah. A human furniture ring that's the main villains of the season uh, A human furniture ring They abduct people And force them to be tables Or lamps or chairs And sell them to the wealthy Like you know You have to be what a table for us <laughs> 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 uh, Okay Yeah um, But I think the show's fidelity To its comic book tropes Is what makes it So compelling In more than comedic ways mm-hmm. uh, Something as stupid as The traumatic origin story For Danger Boat Who is a sentient boat Who identifies as male and gay And is also in love with Arthur Actually becomes a poignant And compelling uh, story Because of how straight-faced The approach is It takes Danger Boat's situation Very, very seriously mm-hmm. He is a boat that is alive And is gay And identifies as male And loves Arthur And is unrequited in that love So a more advanced kid uh. Yeah I mean it's stupid on paper But the way they treat it Makes it feel so important Wow I mean it, So it works both ways um, There's even a s- <laughs> There's a super villain Called Lobster Hulis Who is a, a, a giant lobster That robs banks uh, But then you I, But then you learn His backstory His lobster children uh, uh, Have been abducted And he needs to rob banks To, to free know, them To free them yeah He's basically being forced into it And it's actually Really sad The way yeah. that they treat it uh yeah, it, it, it actually Drop Circulus is like one of the saddest things I've ever been I've ever seen in twenty nineteen television. It's weird. Yeah. Uh yeah, this show is wonderful, man. <laughs> it's uh, eight out of ten for me. Wow. Okay. I, I love the tick. Brilliant. Uh next up. Oh man, I'm gonna go into a a, a bit of a of a of a horror run right now. There's a lot of uh small horror movies out there. First one I'll be talking about is called The Hole in the Ground. Uh so this hole in the ground Uses an overused trope in genre. It's about a creepy kid, uh, much like Pet Cemetery. Again, oh. creepy kid, right? Yeah. So, anyways, this is an Irish indie starring uh, about Sarah and her young son Chris who move to a new home in the Irish con- countryside next mm. to a forest that hides an enormous sinkhole. One night, Chris goes out playing, vanishes, and then he reappears seemingly unharmed, but his behavior grows increasingly disturbing. His change is that you know, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. You, you get a gist, right? Or us. Oh, us, yeah, you know, a lot, lah, a lot, yeah, lah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sarah begins to fear that the boy who has returned may not be her son at all. Well, the, uh, <laughs> while it is well crafted and efficient, the hole in the ground never seeks to differentiate itself. We get the creepy lullaby music, mm. old hooded women mumbling, the trope, and a creepy kid. Uh, yeah, it 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 works, but it's so unoriginal. Okay, it's a five out of ten. Okay. Uh, next up, I'll be talking about uh, The Curse of La Leronia uh, Otherwise known as uh, The Curse of the Weeping Woman it Is has this the one, the Conjuring Part of the Conjuring yes, family? Yes, yeah uh, So, 
the curse of La Llorona has been renamed the curse of the weeping woman because I guess if it's too ethnic for white people. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted, they wanted to rename it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh. So, Pet Cemetery was a movie I expected to hate, but I ended up loving. Okay. This was a movie I expected to love, but I ended up hating. Oh wow. Uh. In in a totally reverse direction, la. Um. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's very ho hum. It suffers from an anemic script with too little scares and too little emotional investment in the characters that we're supposed to be scared for. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, in the end, it's like okay, la, they die, la. Oh wow. Uh. That's, so that's never good for a horror film. Correct. Uh. When I did initially see it, uh, they had not revealed that it was tied to the Conjuring universe. It was. A, a sort of it was meant to be like a a review a, like in uh like a, like in split split lah yeah for example it's unbreakable. yeah correct but when they started not making money uh then they revealed like oh this is part of the conjuring universe so they want to get the conjuring fans you know so it's it's a very lazy attempt to build buzz and so to tie into a larger build yeah there is it does it does oh. the next Annabelle movie apparently <laughs> is a, a sort of Infinity War for the conjuring universe oh my god where they are gonna tie in everything and then uh yeah the Warrens are gonna fight them R I P to Elizabeth Warren by the way who yeah. uh, the the real life ghost hunter who recently passed away uh, who is a fraud. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not gonna say that. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but uh, sure. but this movie is is uh, is is, fro- is a fraud. La. Uh, <laughs> this movie is definitely a fraud. This movie is a fraud. Uh, it's a three out of ten, man. Oh damn! Uh, next up, we'll be talking about a small little uh, indie sci-fi film from the director of the Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Rupert Wyatt, who returns after an eight-year hiatus. He hasn't directed a movie for eight years. That's long since Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Wow! I know. Has it been eight years? It's been eight years, man. God damn! So um, it the new movie is called Captive States. Um, given oh. the given the auteur involved and its premise, I was looking forward to it very much. It's set in a Chicago neighborhood a decade after an the occupation alien. by an alien force. Yeah, yeah. I want to watch this so bad. So Captain State sort of explores the lives on both sides of the conflict, yeah. um, the collaborators and the dissidents in an attempt to explore provocative political ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the question is: aliens have solved all of the world's problems. Yeah. No war, no poverty, poverty, no hunger, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what are we willing to give up in exchange for security? Right? I mean, mm. it's it's a timely it's a trope. It's a, it's a timely theme. Yeah. Uh, besides being a trope, mm. but the movie is very undercooked and overwrought, and oh, it's no. very the most frustrating thing about this, right? About this is that it's not tropey. It's just it's plain boring. Oh no! Yeah. So this is a four out of ten. Okay, I guess I'm not watching it. Yeah, don't. Uh, you made a good call not watching this. Okay. Next up, I'll be talking about uh, Missing Link. Oh, this is a cartoon, right? Stop motion animation, yeah. Ah, sorry, animation. Uh, so Laika, which is the, you know the stop motion studio behind gorgeous and meticulously crafted masterpieces like yeah. Coraline, and I think Kubo and the Two Kubo. Strings as well. Yeah. Uh, is back with a new film. Uh, called Two Missing very Link. great animations. Fantastic stuff, yeah. right? Um, this latest movie is a travelogue following the last Sasquatch in the world mm-hmm. as he befriends explorers and embarks on a globe-trotting quest to find his long-lost relatives. Mm. So while it is very visually dazzling and um oh. and, and very pleasant, such a pleasant Aww. experience. Okay. Uh, but in the end, I think despite the craft behind it, I found it to be a bit. Uninspired, oh no. despite its sweetness. Okay. But ultimately, it's yeah, it's unmemorable because it lacks kind of emotional depth and laugh out loud gags. Okay. Uh, that being said, it's it's something you might want to bring your kids to though, because I think like for uh, it's for um a lower not lower a lower is the wrong word a younger demographic. Younger. Yeah. Uh yeah. Lower, <laughs> lower what? Lower, <laughs> I know I know <laughs> it, it feels derogatory, <laughs> so I mean younger. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a six point five out of ten. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, so next up, <laughs> oh boy, uh, we, I'm gonna be talking about Dumbo. Hey, this needs live action. Yes, I know. I mean, have to address the elephant in the room, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so this remake of Disney's 1941 classic is 
Tim Burton's best movie in like a couple of decades. What? Yeah, it's by far his best movie in in twenty years. Since Edward Scissorhands. Uh, but that doesn't make it good. Oh wait, <laughs> it's just such a low bar. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just means it's his least terrible movie. So better than Willy Wonka. Lah. Yeah, it's it's a shallow and workmanlike uh, venture that's full of kind of cheap schmaltz. The story is uh, so thin, and its earnestness is so unearned, uh, and its emotional wallop feels like a light jab. I should be crying instead of rather instead of feeling like oh that's sad. Uh, you know, this is like a wondrous tale with all the wonder squeezed out of it. It's very sad. It's a five out of ten for me. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, I'll be talking about the second season of Netflix's Shira reboot called Shira and mm. the Princesses of Power. Uh, it returns for a very, very short second season with only seven episodes, seven half-hour episodes. So it's a very easy to watch, breezy, fun show. Uh, it has action, humor, vibrant animation, colorful array of great female characters, and I think like the real triumph of Shira from the beginning that we've seen is that it's one of the few cartoons that devotes equal screen time and development to heroes and villains. Yep, it does. Uh, yes, the princesses have their own dynamic they need to sort out because they are a new team. Uh, the drama comes from the fact that none of them know how to function as one, but just as much time is spent with Catra and Entrapta and the internal politics of the Horde. Uh, in fact, I think the villain side is actually more interesting this season. <laughs> it is actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that being said, I think Shira remains too kiddy for me. It's an excellent, excellent kid show, mm-hmm. but it's just for kids. Unlike Steven Universe or Carmen Sandiego or a variety of other cartoons we've talked about in the past, which offers more complex flavors for adults to dig into, yep. this one is just pure cotton candy, I think. And that's just fine for kids. I just personally won't be continuing with the series, I feel, because I'm a grown-up, as if I need to explain that. <laughs> but I hope that more kids discover this because it's a treat for younger viewers. What do you think, Isa? You watch this also. Yeah, uh, I do feel like this really short second season didn't really help do any justice to some of the more complex teams that they wanted they managed to pull off in season one mm. uh, I do feel like the the humanizing of like issues on both sides whether it's the horde characters whether it's like looking at um, shadow weavers like background and her mm. motivations like some of those were really interesting and I think they could have taken those a step further but given how short Season 2 was I don't think there was Any space for that Because it is A very large cast Of characters Yeah And because of how Short season 2 is A lot of those characters Became caricatures You know mm. So like uh, Mamista For example mm. And a, a lot of the other Princesses I think Took a back seat I did enjoy Bo's little arc With his um, Two fathers And you know His coming out story Basically As, <laughs> as a rebel fighter I thought it was cute um, but I, I do agree with you Like there isn't Much more Than A Presentation Of very Relevant mm-hmm. Social issues um, That is simplified For a younger audience yeah, Right yeah. In much in the same way That Dragon Prince has been Correct Yeah Yeah. So, so I like Dragon I actually won't be continuing Dragon Prince in, yeah, just, uh, I, On a personal, personal basis yeah. la. But that being said I think like younger kids Will get a lot out of it Yeah I agree Yeah so I Rating depends Like like for me It's a 6 out of 10 Yeah it's about the same for me But I think kids Might rate it higher So there's a kind of Caveat with that Because like, mm-hmm. it's clearly Not aimed for um, I think males In their 25 to 30s yeah. You know So yeah la, Well it is what it is 
uh, next up, we'll be talking about the second season of Happy. Actually, in one of our first episodes, I reviewed the first season of Happy, which is a TV adaptation of a Grant Morrison comic. Uh, the series follows a character named Nick Sex, played by Law & Order's Christopher Maloney, uh, as an angry, drunk ex-cop turned hitman, who is guided to do things by a tiny, talking blue unicorn. Um, which is the second season, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it may be real or part of his imagination. We still don't know whether the unicorn is real. But uh, yeah, it's there. It's a fun thing. Uh, while the first season was uneven, I found it to be very enjoyable. Mm. It was ultra violence and irreverence. It feels like Preacher turned up to eleven, uh, and Preacher is already a show that's turned up to eleven, and so yeah. that means this is even higher. Wow. Uh, season two continues down the same path, and it's kind of gleeful in its depiction of gore and sex and weird bonkers villains. It's kind of a, a shallow mid nineties image comics kind of fun, kind of like Deadpool meets Crank. You know, all right. Um, I still find it enjoyable, but I the show does start to feel soulless after a while because oh. it's just that. Okay. Uh, it's it's very one note like. It's one note is very done very well. I really like the actor though. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, you might enjoy this because the one note can carry for a long time. Oh, okay. I've just gotten tired of that one note la. Uh, so only watch this if you want to turn your brain off and you like you know crazy unhinged over the top. We're gonna do taboo because it's taboo, <laughs> kind of shit, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, six out of ten. I think it's fine. Okay. It's just uh, I would have rated it higher if it was the first season, which I did. Mm. Uh, it's just the same thing done okay. again. Next up, I'll be talking about the movie starring Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. <gasps> that is not Captain Marvel. Unicorn Store. Yeah, this is a Netflix movie called Unicorn Store. Uh, that as I mentioned, start the Captain Marvel duo. Yeah. Uh, Brie Larson plays Kit, who is a lonely twenty-something dreamer who is reluctant mm-hmm. to leave the comforts of childhood behind and fully embrace adulthood. Uh, yeah, same here, go. Uh, but <laughs> when art school expels her, Kit is forced to move back home with her parents and take a temp job in a boring office. Oh no! Just when she's resolved to grow up, a mysterious salesman, Samuel Jackson, uh, enters her life and offers to give her her heart's greatest desire. He brings her to a magical store that can give her whatever she wants or needs, and her childhood childhood wish is to have a unicorn. So hence, unicorn store. This is kind of a pastel, whimsical tale. That is unfortunately a bit too muddled and incoherent to really oh. grab you. It's mm. an okay made for TV home up movie. Okay, it was made for TV then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't initially made for TV. You know, it's just oh. that Netflix bought it uh, oh, from okay, the okay, from okay. the um, what do you call it from the, the uh, festival circuit. Okay. Yeah, so Netflix bought it. Uh, two years ago actually. Uh, they timed it to release with Captain Marvel, which is smart. Smart, very very good marketing yeah. on, their, on their part And it needed that marketing Because this was a very Uninspired kind of movie yeah. uh, 4.5 out of 10 for me oh. Almost a pass Almost, Almost. Just, yeah, there, yeah. just there Sorry Brie Larson Better actress than you are A director <laughs> yeah. Or a writer For that matter uh, Look forward to seeing you In Captain Marvel But please don't make Any more movies We're talking about Captain Marvel 2 Captain Marvel 2 mm. Or whatever future Adventures she's in yeah. uh, Finally Last segment of the day Is as usual uh, The pool list yeah, the the poll list is usually our last segment because we want to recommend all the things that we've read or uh, encountered like in book or literature or manga or comics and stuff like that. So this particular episode, I have to talk about the biggest comic book that came out over the last month. Which one? Detective Comics 1000. <laughs> the the esteemed and long-running series Detective Comics hits issue uh, hit issue 1000 just last month. And as luck would have it, it also coincides with the 80th anniversary of its most famous creation, Batman. Batman. Na 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 na. Uh, although 
Batman didn't actually show up until issue 27. Uh-huh. The comic is kind of synonymous with him. Yeah. Uh and you know, he is the world's greatest detective. Detective comics, you know, makes sense. And fittingly, it's a wonderful tribute to the Dark Knight. Uh, featuring amazing short stories from Jim Lee, Kevin Smith, Jeff Johns, Tom King, S- Scott Snyder, and lots more. Lah. Um, and unlike recent Batman anthologies, yeah. uh, the Tom King story wasn't the highlight, which is a surprise. You know, usually Tom King like steals the show. Yeah. You know, he, so who was the highlight? The highlight here, uh, <laughs> he's funny upstage, and the highlight here is a story called The Batman Design, uh, which is the one story I definitely recommend that you read. It's, it's by Warren Ellis, who's oh. himself, you know, a really great comic yeah. book writer. Yeah, it's it's kind of the ultimate celebration of the trope we like to call Batman with prep time, <laughs> uh, and and uh, weirdly enough, unintentional rebuttal to Zack Snyder's comments that Batman should kill people. Uh, but you know he clearly wrote this long before Snyder made this yeah, comment, yeah, yeah. so whatever, right? Yeah. So the the story kind of focuses on Batman chasing down a gang of superpowered criminals. Uh-huh. Uh, and he has meticulously researched them, manipulated them, and coerced them Ooh, through the shadows, lose. you know, into into a this he's kind of like just push them in various ways into a, a playground of his own choosing, yeah. so he can pick them off one by one. It's almost sadistic if it wasn't so fun to peek behind the curtain of this billionaire genius overthinker. Here it it portrays Batman actually enjoying himself, like toying with his prey a bit. Wow. He puts so much thought into his. Theatricality. He's almost like a like a Glee Club drama queen. Yeah. You know? It's like w- which part of the warehouse should I show up? What's the most dramatic side? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and yeah, of course he thinks about that because he always chooses the coolest angle to come up <laughs> That's from. That's true. Uh, if you even consider yourself a casual fan of the Cape Crusader Detective Comics 1000, is well worth your price. Mm. Uh, this issue features truly fantastic lineup of stories brought to life by some of the best and biggest creators in the business. Uh, while only kind of a handful of these stories have any sort of direct impact on the larger franchise they all serve as touching tributes to one of um, I guess comics most enduring characters mm. Batman uh, and definitely read the Batman design by Warren Ellis Batman with prep time is you know we all love Batman with prep time like, yeah yeah, because he's unbeatable exactly exactly so I, I love the peek behind the curtain yeah. like what is the prep What is why is he doing this yeah. what is the coolest way to enter a room yeah I didn't know that That's yeah. quite cool because you're always you're, Batman's always mysterious, right? You see him from the villain's point of view, exactly. Like you see him the horror, the horror the element, horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we always know that like, Batman has prepared for everything. Mm. You just never really see him prepared. I know. Yeah. Oh, this is quite cool. It's cool, yeah, because it's it's kind of one of those things where I always thought it would be cool to watch a horror movie from the point of view of the villain. Villain, yeah. like you know, like. You know, sometimes when your character turns around and the villain disappears, it'll be it'll be like, like where the hell is he? It'll be funny to watch him just like run off and then like panting behind the behind the walls, like, oh, hiding oh, behind the couch. You know? Yeah. So, oh God! Thank God! You know? <laughs> there's Batman here. Okay. You, you get a peek behind the curtain. You know? Oh, that's quite cool. That's, yeah, that's cool. cool. Uh, and that is it for this episode of Genre Equality. This is our 17th episode, the biggest of the year, I guess. Yeah. It is. Until next month when Ooh, we talk about shit. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones already had his its I guess first finale. Last yeah. week Mid-season fin- mid finale, finale Quick uh? Quick yeah <laughs> Three more episodes to go We'll talk about it next month At the same time We'll be talking about some smaller things Yeah uh, Z- Zack Snyder's uh, Insane Superman Elseworlds story Brightburn <laughs> Will be coming out in a few weeks Who is it? Directed by James Gunn right? Uh Yes, James. I'm uh, sorry. Did I say Zack Snyder? I meant James Gunn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's just Zack Snyder esque, like what Zack Snyder wanted to be, but yeah. doesn't have enough craft and intelligence <laughs> to do. So yeah, James Gunn and his brothers actually yes. uh, made made this film. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, what we do in the shadows, which is Ooh, the television, the uh, television series of the movie, lah. 
con- continuation, not even an adaptation. Yeah. It's canonically uh, linked to the oh, movie. Nice. Uh, also, show run by Jermaine Clement. Takawatiti yeah. that directs a handful of episodes, so the the core brains behind it mm. is, are still there. Uh, we'll be talking about Detective Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh come on, it's gonna be good. No, yo, I for, for <laughs> real. Uh, it's it's. I'm hundred percent convinced it's gonna be the best video game movie of all time. Oh yeah, I forgot it's a video game. Yeah, it could it could finally uh, a legit get the title a, a legit champion. Yeah, rather than movies that are actually like five out of ten, like getting Assassin's that title, like like things like that, or Tomb Raider, or Tomb Raider. Like you can have a legit like six out of ten movie. Yeah, <laughs> like a proper champion. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the most bizarre shows on TV like Doom Patrol and Legends of yes. Tomorrow which have their finale soon so exciting uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone also um, China's big hit of the year The Wandering Earth comes to I Netflix I really want to watch that you know? uh, and also there is uh, <laughs> Aladdin <laughs> I really want to watch that too I think Aladdin will be a quick hits thing but we'll see lah. if everyone watches it I mean we're all going to watch it yeah uh, uh, is Shaw and Hobbs Considered genre No it, Then we have to start Reviewing the Fast and the Furious No franchise. but because This one has more Of sci-fi elements Does it? Yeah What is the sci-fi element? I mean the villain Is like a super soldier Kind of thing But they've always had Like super soldier things No uh. but this guy Is like augmented Super soldier-ish Well sure You can include that In quick hits if Yes you <laughs> uh, if, you, if you manage to watch it uh, Second season of uh, Cloak and Dagger uh, Finishing soon yes. also And the second season Of uh, Wolverine podcast Called Wolverine Lost Show Finishing uh, and then I'll pick out something for for the police, police. to read. Yeah. Uh, till then, this has been Hitzer. I'm Hardy. I'm Isa. Uh, we'll see you to talk about Game of Thrones next month. Can't wait. Can't wait. Bye bye. Bye.